Know this, there is massive amounts of money your business can get from the government just by trying to grow. If you're innovating, marketing overseas, or looking at commercialization of your product, then my next guest will be of great interest to you. Evan Widmont, Director at Ramon Advisory, talks all things grants, entrepreneurs, investing, and commercialization. Evan will give listeners practical advice and explanations about what grants are available, why grants advisory and investing go hand in hand, and his unique blend of spirituality and business makes this episode very interesting listening indeed. Enjoy. Evan Widmont, Director at Rimon Advisory, an incredible advisory business for entrepreneurs focusing on grants, advisory service and venture funding. Welcome to Discipline. Thank you very much, Tony. Good to be here. Now, you've got a very interesting background. Well, you're from South Africa, but you've also lived in Israel, uh, moved to Sydney and then Melbourne. Uh, you've settled in Melbourne. That's quite a circuitous route. Tell me about that backstory. Yeah, um, it is quite an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I guess the journey, you know, I, was, I, I grew up in South Africa, left when I was about 20, just went on an adventure, landed up in Israel on a, you know, was a bit of a spiritual journey for me as well. And uh, while I was there, I landed up working for a big family office in investments and um, so you were an accountant, you studied accountancy in South Africa? I studied a number of, I started off with actuarial science. Okay. I wanted to get rich fast, but then I realized <laughs> it, was, it was seriously hard work. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in a, in a course of guys just probably working 12, 13 hours a day. and Super smart people. Yeah, and I was not nearly as smart. I'm sure that's <laughs> not true. Or no, maybe I was, maybe I like to tell myself I was as smart, but just much lazier. Okay. Um, and I just saw my mates having a good time, and so I changed accounts. So I didn't have to go any lectures, pretty much. That was the... 12 contact hours a week? Well, I had zero contact hours. I, my next year of uni, I didn't go once. Brilliant. Yeah. That's what I thought as well. So, so life, life was taking over? Then. Life was taking over and just trying different things and going on a bit of a journey and getting to know myself a bit better. Yep. And I landed up putting my degree on hold. I went, I did finish it. Um, but then I went, to, I went to Israel and I landed up living there. Well, I, yeah, landed up marrying my high school sweetheart. <laughs> um, and she went and lived there with you? We both lived there together. We Amazing. went together. And yeah, I was there where I, I did a few different things. I studied to become a rabbi. Yeah, wow. That was one thing. Yeah. That was a spiritual side, spiritual journey. But at the same time, um, I did something called a CFA, uh, a Chartered Financial yep. Analyst. Um, so that was also, it was an interesting one. But I, the impetus for doing that was I landed up working for a um, a big family office in Israel. That Hang on, there's got to be a Seinfeld type uh, gag in here, my my rabbi is uh, an accountant or my accountant's a rabbi. Or... So I'm kind of a rabbi, kind of, you know, in investments, kind of an accountant, kind of everything. But yeah, that's, I guess that was my commercial, you know, my initial commercial ventures were, was in Israel with the family office. We, we invested in a whole lot of different things, um, property, stocks, bonds, equities, startups, medical startups. I got a really, you know, it was derivatives and options and, interesting really interesting stuff and that was the impetus to do the cfa yep which really yep. focuses on that and and yeah, it was a it was a great time and then the gfc hit so this is 2012 yeah yep um but i had an incredible mentor that actually saw it coming um and advised the family to move out of they were heavily invested in bank stocks yep and he advised them strongly to get out of bank stocks he must have been an oracle he was they didn't listen 
Right. No, well, they kind of listened, but they still kept hedged, a lot in there. Hedged a bit of their money. Yeah, they did hedge. He saved them a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really interesting intro into into business. Let, let me just ask you, yeah. um, with a person like that who, you know, sees things so clearly, what 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 is it about someone who can do that? Because you hear stories of people like this. I've seen the big short, uh, yeah. you know, how do, how, in your view, how do people see these things? I, I think he in particular was, sounds strange, but he, he wasn't emotionally connected. The incredible ability to see, he was honest and happy to, even though he built up this entire investment strategy, you know, you, you, get, you get caught up in, in well, that and it's hard to let go. We're jumping miles ahead, but there's probably some lessons in there for some entrepreneurs who start businesses. For sure, for sure. Yeah, you, know, you the businesses we've invested in, definitely the common denominators, like you know the path that they initially thought they were going down, it's not the one that they landed it's up so on. True. And yeah. and the I guess the founders are able to do best are the ones that are flexible, and you know it's it's hard because you've invested your life in this and you thought this is what it was going to look like, and to be able to let go of it requires a tremendous strength of character. I think we'll come back to that. I'm going to take you back to the GFC though. Um, so what dragged you from Israel to Australia? Um, so it's interesting, I guess. So it was partly that spiritual journey. It was initially pursuing a position in, in rabbinics in, as a rabbi, and it was a great opportunity in Sydney. Um, but I always wanted to do both. That was always my passion, to be able to do both. And then when, as soon as I landed in Sydney, um, I, I looked into exactly managing to I was always passionate about giving to the community and building communities um, but I also didn't want to be dependent on those communities for my livelihood Yeah. Um, so I always wanted to I was passionate about building a business and getting involved in a business and as almost you know within a year of landing in Sydney that's where Rimon came into the picture okay so you met someone you knew someone from uh, from, from South Africa actually okay. some mates from South Africa yeah. um, and what started off as an initial half day, you know, come work for us half day and, and can stay involved in your, you know, your spiritual pursuits and community building the other half. Yes. Um, and it just, it, it worked. And that, you know, that grew and grew and grew. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and then you've taken the step up to being a director of, a, of an advisory firm. Yes. Yeah, so it came with a lot of different aspects. At the time it was, you know, a grants advisory firm, but... Um, you know, the grants is an incredible way to get to know businesses, the advisory side, not just the grants, but those kind of services. And I think, you know, one of the big differences, you know, when you, you often you meet with an accountant, we meet work with a lot of accountants and we ask them like, what is your, you know, what's your client doing? And they don't really know, you know, the client's more of like a number for them. You know, for, with us, I think it was always our core talent was we understood there were the people behind the business and the business itself and not just the output of that business. So we, we saw an opportunity because we got to know our clients so well. So incredible opportunity to make investments in them. Yeah. Um, and that was, I guess, that gave birth to the, you know, the, the investment fund, um, which is our VC arm. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great mix, the advisory arm and the investment arm. So, I mean, it's interesting because you're around entrepreneurs and business. Put yourself in the hot seat um, as an entrepreneur as well, growing your own business I mean, does that does that place you in a good position to advise people? Do you think? 
I think so. I don't know if I, I've ever viewed myself as an entrepreneur, to be honest, but I guess yeah. I'm willing to take on things like that. I think you're people. probably more entrepreneurial than you give yourself credit <laughs> for because uh, the, the firm is one of the more interesting firms I've come across in my journey. I mean, your guys that I've worked with in the past are uh, very precise, they're thorough, they're accurate, and quite diverse in your offerings. I mean, I think grants, advisory, and venture fundings. Um, don't necessarily seem like the... Things that go together. No, the most likely <laughs> bedfellows. But I think you answered it yourself in what you said before that it's a good on-ramp to see a business through the grant side of the business and then assess the financial merits of a business for a potential investment. So am I right in saying that's why they coexist? 100%. Because, you know, often as a VC fund, people will come pitch to you and you don't really, you don't really know who they are. And we've had clients who we've worked with have come ask us for funding and we just know that they don't understand their business and through asking them you know from a grants perspective you know do you have this stuff what's the you know the, the vision of the business what's the and, and they just don't know often and you get a sense from the team how the team gels and how the just there's a lot of indicators you know if you've got a good sense you and after working with someone for four months on a on some on a project if you have open eyes you tell a lot about them. You can tell a lot about the entrepreneur and you can tell a lot about the business by looking at their books and seeing their product and exactly right. seeing them ramp up. And their... So it's not just a... Well, you've got the inside track. Yeah, it's not just an hour pitch, you know, two hour and then you do due diligence as an outsider. It's more you get to become part of their team and work with them and it's, you know, it's an organic opportunity. That's a very interesting way and I think it... Uh, I mean, from your perspective, you're doing your own due diligence then on the business. Exactly. That's that's what it turned out, you know, to be. And was and this an organic? Yeah, completely organic. Okay, so it wasn't a it genius. Wasn't okay. No, it was not planned. <laughs> I mean, that's a lesson in itself. Yeah, we saw we saw an opportunity together, and yeah, we we hope we've taken advantage of it to some to some extent. Well, let's get into the uh, the details, some of the nitty gritty about the services. I mean, you know, one of the things I hope listeners can take out of this is some good advice and maybe pick up something they haven't thought of before. Uh, grants, in particular research and development grants, I think it's a bit of a holy grail for tech companies. Yeah. Um, tell me what it is and why companies should go after it. Well, the, the basic idea, you know, the Australian government, you know, their questions, you know, are they pro it or are they trying to make it difficult for startups? But I personally think you know, as an overall um, structure, they're trying to facilitate growth through innovation. So companies that are doing things which are innovative, it does not only technology companies, you know, in any industry that, where there's innovation, they're generating new knowledge, they're doing experiments, there's yep. uncertainty in the yep. process. Um, that's really the, the core definitions of R&D. So the, the idea behind it is that you, you're gonna get back that, that initial, you know, that, that, those early stages where cash flow is so difficult you know, to, to help companies where they turn their losses into actual cash back and, and get an added benefit. That's really the idea behind it. So instead of companies falling over in the first two, three years because of lack of cash flow, you know, this is a, is a massive help to try and fuse. That's really where the, the smarts are. So basically, if I spent a million dollars on R&D activities and it was ticked off as valid activities, I would get... Slightly three and a half percent back. As cash, cash rebates. So yeah, you get four hundred and thirty-five. So it really is investing in um, 
you know, new new innovations, new technologies, well, the encouraging the people. Governments know that unless they're creating those type of tech companies from job, you know, in the world we live in, that's where the jobs are going to lie and that's where the economy is going to be filled from. So unless they're doing something to try to help spur that innovation, you know, the, the country's not going to be in a fantastic place. But it's not so, I mean, it's a great thing then, but it's not so easy that anyone can just fill in a form and get the money okay, back. So that, that's where... You know, that, that's where things have started to unfold, you know, the last two years. And that's where we've we've had, a we think, an unbelievable opportunity within our business and how we run things. Um, so it's become it's become very, very much a compliance um, area as opposed to before. I think everyone felt anyone can just apply for it. And and people feel that, you know, the ATO and Oz industry have come out with new rulings and a new way of dealing with technology and a new definitions, more strict definitions of R&D. And there's been a few few companies, I don't know how much you've seen, that have had to pay back. I saw a couple of big big checks that had to be yeah, paid back. Yeah, fairly significant checks. And um, But I, I think there's an element of, you know, we, we from our, the audits that we've been through over, you know, the past year, to, nothing's changed. It's just the ATO is just enforcing what they've always... Just a bit more rigor, perhaps? I, I don't even see that. It's just auditing as they have, and they just audited the wrong companies. They're, there's some big service providers out there, I'm not going to name them, that have done the wrong thing. Yep. You know, and pushed clients to claim things that were not claimable. Um, and really what it comes down to is if you have the source documentation, if you have a good logic, you've done the right thing, you haven't claimed everything, because not everything is R&D, You've got processes and policies and procedures in place, um, then you should you should be okay. The ATO, in my experience, have been very reasonable. Oz industry, same thing. You know, they're not they're not crazy asking for crazy things. They they just want to make sure that you've gone through a process internally. You know, of actually what is R and D, what's not R and D. This sounds like an incredibly uh, complex thing to do. And I'm an entrepreneur. I'm busy. Uh, you know, and I don't have cash flow is my problem. Uh, I don't want to pay money for someone to come in and, and do it. I mean... Uh, you want to do it yourself? Well, I don't want to do it that way At either. <laughs> do you, do you success fee or something like that? Okay, so, so I think I'll take a step back. The first thing I'd say is it, it requires a mindset change yeah. from the entrepreneur, from, from the, the company that's, that's making the claim because the, the funds that you're going to get in are sometimes very significant yeah. and really it could be it's your biggest client. So instead yeah. of viewing it as a necessary evil, that's really what we're pushing our clients. This is a great opportunity. The government's willing to partner with you, and this could be your biggest client ongoing for the next three, four years as you get your business off the ground. So if you look at it in that way, it's a customer, and the customer's going to be paying you money, right? So you have to invest in that customer. The customer happens to be the ATO and Oz industry. So this is a paying customer paying you to build innovation, exactly. tech, whatever. Well, that sounds great, right? Too good to be true. Unbelievable. But if you change your mindset, so then I can't understand, any, like all my customers require work. So this customer also requires a certain amount of work. So you're not going to get away without investing any time. But definitely where, you know, different you know, different providers do it in a different way, but we'll come in, we'll do a workshop with you face-to-face. -face. We we do the vast majority of the work on our side as opposed to putting it on the intrapreneur's plate. There's certain things that you can't get away from, like your systems. If the systems aren't good and they're not recording things, so that, that requires time and effort to change. But once things are set up, yes, you know, after year one, so we do work on successfully, like you mentioned, that's part of it. But there are different ways. You know, we work with a number of listed companies, 
SMEs can also apply. Everyone, you know, there's lots of scope. Up yeah. to 50 million? 20 mil. They can still apply even if you're over 20 mil, just the benefit changes. Okay. You know, obviously it's a tax saving. Yeah. As opposed to cash rebate at that point if you're in a profit. So you basically get to write off your tax payable against the dollars earned exactly against R and D. Yeah. So Which, that can also be a you know cash flow bonus. Exactly. It definitely helps cash flow. Yeah. You know, but in a more indirect manner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the opportunity. So if I'm an entrepreneur and I let's just say I've got a I want to talk about software. I want to build a software platform and I get funded X number of dollars. I should be putting my systems in place immediately. From the beginning, yeah. Set up structure company, uh, the structure of your company. You know, that it has to be a PTYLTD, not a trustee of a trust. You know, there, there are certain rules and criteria that apply, but the, the biggest thing is the, the policies and procedures, documentation, you know, which we work with our clients. We can help them implement these types of things that they have that in place. And if they do get audited, they, you know, they're covered. And let me stick with software, if I may, for one more question. Because yes. from what I understand, just because you're building software doesn't necessarily mean that that's research and development as far as the tax office sees it. What, what You said experimentation, originality. There, there are three criteria. Yep. So number one, you have to be doing something innovative. Yes. So they define as generating new knowledge. Yep. doesn't mean that you're the only person in the world doing this. It means that even if you come up with a similar idea to someone else, they're not sharing their IP with you. Right, so that necessitated you doing your own experiments to generate that innovation. And the third step is where really things come undone is uncertainty. Yes. Right, so is there uncertainty? Most people always assume there's uncertainty, but it's not always uncertainty. You know, it has to be, you know, if you ask a competent developer, if they could do this, they're not 100% sure because this has not been done before. Or yes. They don't have access to an off-the-shelf pro- product and they've got, they're going to have to work so, really. So, so they're like integrating block chain technology into a ecosystem has probably got a lot of uncertainty. Potentially, yes. Yeah, okay. But building a, a CRM for my... Exactly. So a simple CRM, you know, where sometimes you get a CRM, which someone's trying to put machine learning into AI, you know, different types of things. Yeah, that... Elements are... Exactly right. Okay. Well, that's good. So lesson here, entrepreneurs, don't wait until you're running out of cash and the end of financial year is coming around. Think about it. This is a... Client from day one. That's exactly right. And on top of that, I mean, there's a lot of state and federal grants, um, even collaboration between different states and the Australian governments. I've seen UK ones, Italian ones. Um, (laughs) Is it worthwhile finding out what I qualify for? For sure. What's around? For sure. I've seen a number of our clients. There's definitely, you know, and it depends where you're living, which state you're in. Um, In Vic, they, you know, they're very, they're pushing manufacturing grants and if you, you're building a, a new plant or a new um, a new facility which has cutting-edge technology, there's a lot of assistance to help along those lines. Yes. So it is important, you know, you, you sit with someone who knows, you know, especially if you, there, there's people who can connect you to, to people in government who can point you in the right direction. So, you know, this particular grant looks like it fits with you, definitely worthwhile. But to, to, I would caution people just applying for these grants, competitive grants, Right, what, what we're talking about now, because you know some of them have a three percent chance of success, some a bit higher. You know, and they take a lot of time and effort. So you have to know before you do it, you're not necessarily definitely going to get the money back. 
you know, when it comes to these competitive grants. So R&D is not like that. EMDG is not. It's different. And EMDG is the export market. The export grant. Tell, tell us a little bit about that one. That's an interesting one as well. So that's more once the product is, you know, ready for sale. You know, now you want to take that into overseas markets. So Austrade are the governing body. But again, the idea behind that is helping Australian products or services you know, get overseas, get out there, get the name out there. And it focuses around marketing, helping you with your marketing expenses. So flying overseas, overseas reps, trade shows, all the, you know, the standard social media and advertising, Facebook, Google, you know, every business markets in different ways. But, you know, we've seen it really catapult a number of our clients into, you know, where someone could have almost 100% of their time focused on, you know, building the Australian markets. They suddenly get this grant and, you know, or, it, t- it changes their revenues flow tremendously. You yeah. know, now they're 80% revenue coming from overseas as opposed to, you know, from Australia. Well, you're effectively getting, yeah, I mean, it's a cash flow boost. You're getting money back that you can use for further expansion, exactly. further growth. Exactly right. And if you're doing R&D for further research and development, further product development. That's, that's the idea behind it. So Australia, I mean, it quite often get a bad rap politically, but sounds like there's a few good things going on for entrepreneurs and yeah, there's, there's some amazing things if you can make use and obviously sometimes it's frustrating for people because I meet with a lot of people that haven't you have to spend the money first you know so that's where the government's not always willing to help you you know they're not going to give you the money and say okay go spend it build something you know which which I personally is think that is that the role of government exactly it's not I don't think it's their role yeah. to give you that you know the entrepreneurs that I want to back from our funds perspective are the ones who've who've built something, you know, they've sweated those hard yards and those late nights and sleepless nights and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually build something. Once they've got that, so now the government says, okay, great, let, well, me, let me help you get something back for your hard work. Yes. So I think it's a good system. So, the, but the risk is, you know, is and should be on the entrepreneur to invest time and energy and be all in behind it because that's how things get off the ground. Exactly right. And if you can do that and prove a product and prove a market, then the government's got some great levers to help you scale. That's exactly right. Sounds good. Spot on. Okay, so you mentioned investment. Uh, Ramon has its own uh, venture funding and venture investment fund within your own ecosystem. Um, In your view, when does a business need capital? That's a great question. So I think to answer that question, it would be, yeah, obviously each business is different. Right? There's no general rules when you when you need capital, um, but I I genuinely think the point where capital's needed is when you have you have a working prototype, right? And you've gone out, you found a customer, maybe not a paying customer, right? But you've tested that the thing actually works. Okay. To some degree, it might not be perfect, but there's something that's you, you've got some level of you know confirmation that you've got your it's not just an idea anymore. You know, but often to get that to the point where the customer was willing to pay for it requires more investment. So sometimes to take a very basic product, I would th- say that could be the first point. Um, you know, and you need external investment to build out a proper product. And o- often the need is at the point where you actually start needing to commercialize that and, and market that. You know, that's another another point where you need funding. But obviously people want to delay that as far as possible. The, the, the general rule is the earlier you take the funding, the more you're giving away in your business. Which is the power of the grants is that they don't you're not giving up any equity in your business. It's essentially free money to some extent. So you can the 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 more success and traction you have, 
the more product you sell, uh, the more customers you have, the more likely a third party is going to value your business higher. Exactly. So you're giving away. So the funds that come into the business, obviously, are, you're having to give up less equity for that. And that's really, you know, the entrepreneur, from an entrepreneur's perspective. And I have seen this sometimes where, you know, they're just, and even potentially some of, you know, one of our investments is like this. They get a great valuation, but they, you know, they're just not willing to take it because they value the business much higher. And sometimes they can sink the business. You know, you sometimes have to make a, you know, a smaller piece of a much larger business is worth a lot more sometimes than, you know, a huge piece of a business that's worth nothing because, you know, you thought the valuation should be much higher. And I think the, the matrix there is that you've got um, statistically a very small number of startups turn into $100 million businesses, exactly right. even less into billion dollar businesses. If someone's valuing your business well and can give you capital that can accelerate this journey, then you're protecting yourself from competitive forces, you're locking in customers, you're getting ahead of the curve sometimes. That's I, I, what, it's an interesting question I often get asked, you know, when when startups sit with, with us and say, well, you know, what am I, what, how should I value my business? You know, what's a fair valuation? And just over the years, I think the answer is, you know, of, of course, the, the way the world works is there's a lot of facades and you have to have your financial model and your financial model has to show a nice hockey stick, but from an investor's, if I'm putting my invest out, everyone knows that that means nothing, right? Yeah. You haven't done that yet, and the likelihood of you doing it exactly the way you put it down on paper is zero, but it just shows that you've thought it out. Yeah, it's a good story, and it shows I understand the story. And I've, I've researched all the different potential revenue streams. I've, I've done my- the Cost base. Exactly. The market size. Fine. But that, what it really comes down to, really comes down to is how much of your business are you willing to give away? Yeah. That's what I think. So the, the entrepreneur has to work out, sit down, well, you know, I've invested $100,000 of my own money or in my own time. I'm willing to give away 30%, 40%, whatever it is of this business. You know, this is how much money I need, you know, and therefore this is the valuation. It could be that that valuation is unreasonable. You'll never get it. Okay, now you've got a decision to make. You've got to give away more of your business. Fine, but that's, that's, how, that's how it works. Yeah, so they call it, uh, it's the entrepreneur pricing their own equity. Yes. And that is probably in a startup where there's, you know, no liquidity in the stock. That's what's required. You've got to look at your own magic numbers. Exactly. And say, I'd be comfortable at giving 40% and how much does the business need for 40%? Well, exactly. I want to get 2 million. Well, I need to value it at. Exactly. But it sounds it sounds crazy, right? But that, that is really how it works. I think that's, I agree. 100%. You know, that's, that's what it comes down to. And the problem is, if, if an entrepreneur doesn't recognize that within themselves, just doesn't see that as the reality, then you start arguing over the rare, well, look at my financial model and look at this and that, and I've worked it out so logically. And then just, I think from an investor perspective, just come across as silly, yeah. as opposed to saying, you know, this is what it's worth to me. Or you, know? you do what happened to me once with the financial model where the investor said, no worries, if your financial model is that good, I'll give you your equity at this valuation, but, when you miss your targets, <laughs> this is what's going to happen to the pricing of your equity. So, you it's know, way of doing it. it was yeah. a very smart way of saying basically your model is a model. Yes. You're not going to hit the model. But if you really think your model's that good, back it up, you know, and take, take on the risk. And an investor at this point is investing in the entrepreneur. Yes. So by demonstrating you've understood a model and the financial aspects of a business, you make yourself more investable. Yes. But ultimately, they're parting with their money. Yes, it's a good product. Yes, it's a good, you know, a good opportunity. 
but uh, do I believe that he or she is going to be able to carry this forward? And that's that's what carries the day with an investor. It doesn't hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so let's look at the other side of that. Why do some businesses that come in never get out of the starting blocks or, or fail? You said, you know, valuing their business too high is one. What are, what other common threads do you see? I think probably the most common thread is that people, I think, lack understanding of self in terms of like, what am I good at? What can I actually do? You know, where can I add value? So, you know, where you might be brilliant at software development and developing a product, but you know, you're just not commercial. And it's about surrounding yourself with the right people, you know, if you're not that person. So I think that's a huge, a huge part of it. So knowing your skills. Knowing your skill set. Parking your ego. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> what I'm trying to say in a nice way. Parking your ego, but that's that's a life challenge, you know. That's not just, but it comes out in everything in life, I guess. Yeah, and I think business is one of those cut and thrust type environments where it brings out, you know, the uh, the swagger that you need to be able to put that facade on, as you mentioned. Yes. But if you don't know when to take it off, it can very quickly um, stay up when you're looking in the mirror. I think it just when you have a big ego, you can't see the reality for what it is. Yeah. So all of those things come into that the high valuation, you know, the ability to see your own skills. A lot comes down to that ability yeah. to to see yourself for who you are. Yeah. Tell me a bit of fun. What's what's the worst pitch you've ever seen? <laughs> That's a good one. What's the worst pitch? Okay, so it's it's continual in terms of how often this happens when. Someone comes into the office, oh, I want to pitch to you my business, and they go through this amazing, it's like an amazing idea. Often often it comes from the, the type of characters, like more like a science geeky nerd type person, and they really want to change the world. So they've come up with this like amazing thing, right, that they're doing, and then you ask them, well, what have you built? You know, they've got a proper pitch deck and this, and we've done that. Like, how much have you, have you done? I was once with a person who was like, no, I haven't done any of this. <laughs> But the way the pitch deck was like formulated was like he's done all of these amazing things, but this was, you know, his imagination of where he wanted to be. This is proper blue sky thinking. Yeah, is. which you need. In life, you need that. But, you know, at the point where I, I was under the impression he was coming to pitch something that he'd done. And, and you're ready to invest. And he go, well, this is all make-believe. Exactly. Oh, my God. So that was, I don't know if it's funny, but it was it's frustrating. <laughs> frustrating for him, for me and him. <laughs> what about the best pitch you've seen? not invested and then wish you'd invested okay that i'm not going to mention those but there's there's a lot there you know that, that's actually how the fund started you know we we saw so many amazing companies have started you know with nothing and you know, one of our clients literally was you know we went to that they make i'm not going to say exactly what but they make a beverage you know and they did it started out in their kitchen you know the first r d we did was like behind the kitchen in literally in their kitchen you know, in the next year it was in a warehouse and the next year in a much bigger warehouse and the next year, and before you know it, you know, they're, they're making close to $100 million. Wow. You know, in... <laughs> and you didn't take any equity in that? No, no equity. You had an opportunity? Our, our, our fund was non-existent yet, but I'm okay. saying we've had countless opportunities like that, which we decided, okay, we and we knew them as people and they were fantastic people, great team, great. And if I had money, I would have invested. So we, we didn't want to be we didn't want to be able to say that to ourselves anymore. If I had money, I would have invested. We want to be able to say, no, I have an investment fund, and I, we, we we saw the opportunity. We chose not to for X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and that was really the birth of our investment fund. And uh, 
you know, looking at the things you have invested in, the entrepreneurs that have gone well, is there a common thread? Is, is there something you can now see early on or is it just still luck of the draw? I, I, I'd be lying if I said yes. <laughs> I'd be lying. I mean, thank God our investments are all, you know, two years later, three years later, all going strong, doing well. Some are doing really well, some are doing okay, you know, but in, in terms of a fund, I think the, the fact that none have fallen over and, and they and they're all, it looks like they're gonna be successful businesses, how successful that remains to be seen. But you know, it's just interesting. Some of them are pretty humble, some of them are pretty arrogant, but in terms of our, our due diligence, it's always, is the team good, is the product good, is the, those things are all tick. So before we make an investment, all of them have to be ticked. You know, so, so the, as a common denominator, from our perspective, you know, probably the, the best question we There's can ask. strong business fundamentals. Yeah, and, and I think what's shown the, the truth of time is really when we ask the team, not the founders, you know, and we get a sense from them how they, and it could be something as well, how do you enjoy working here? Do you believe in the idea? You know, that's a good indication that the founder is willing to, was able to bring his employees on board with him and Cult sell. Culture. Culture. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's a massive thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's coming up time and time again on discipline, that's for sure. Because, you know, what, I just have one particular investment in mind where he has not wanted to take external investment after our initial investment for a long time. And his team has really bought into the, the, the idea and they could, they could be earning a lot of money somewhere else, you know, as developers or but they've stayed loyal because they... They get equity? They, yeah, a little bit. But not enough to bridge the gap. I don't think so, no. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's Jim Collins, good to great, isn't it? Yeah. You know, getting people invested in the business, not having to pay them more to keep them because they've got a purpose getting out of bed. Yeah. Well, that's a real skill and it's a X factor and intangible. Not so easy to actually execute on. Yeah, well, and that is a very nice segue into uh, one of my other points about Ramon, the advisory side. Uh, you talk a lot about uh, commercialization and, um, you know, how, how it helps grow a business. I mean, is it as simple as product market fit? What, what does commercialization entail? How do I know I've done it? <laughs> it's a, I guess it depends what your goals are, you know, in terms of where you want to be. But it definitely commercialization in the sense is, you know, you, you have a product that you want to get out into the market and you've done all those steps, I think, that are necessary to get it out there and market it. You know, okay, if it fails, it fails. But I think the, the commercialization aspect from our perspective is, you know, you've got your steps. Obviously, you're not in control in the outcome fully. You know, there's, there's an element where you can't control things. But all those steps that you believe you need to go through in order to get that out to the market and give it a good chance of actually being successful, that you're funded well enough to do all of that. Yeah. And you have the advisors around you and the processes in place to enable you to do that. Yeah. And for an entrepreneur who takes on a huge amount of work and responsibility, um, getting advisors in to help commercialize and understand the journey, what's the main benefit? It accelerates as accelerates the journey, reduces risk? Yeah, all, all, of the, all of the above, but again, sometimes you'll get advisors in that will open up networks for you that you, you otherwise wouldn't, you know, and, and potential customers. Sometimes your advisors are there to just listen because you're going through a tough time and you know, that, that's valuable. You know, to have someone that can, you can talk to and can give you guidance because you know, it doesn't always have to be someone on your board. 
yeah. you know, as an advisor that, that really helps you through the ups and downs of, you know, it could be as simple as you had to fire someone. Yes. You know, that, that just took it out of you and you realize, well, I'm just not that, I don't want to be that type of person that fires someone. I never saw myself like that and now you're just down and it's coming across to your, you know, everyone else in the business and all, all those types of things yeah. are important. I think it's interesting because entrepreneurs take a lot on themselves. Sometimes they focus so hard on the, the goals that they uh, shut themselves off from advisors and other people and other wise heads. Whether you're paying for that advice or getting an advisory board, listening to wise heads and people who've stood in those shoes before is probably something every entrepreneur should put a bit of time away a week or a month to do that. Well, I think it's it's just a rule of life. Like any, any endeavour in life, if you want to be successful at it, if you just do it yourself, in general, that's just not, not going to work. If you'd only, if all the knowledge is coming from you because your knowledge is lacking, you know, so it's, it's the one way you can get no more knowledge is looking on Google, you know, <laughs> but, but that's limited. Yeah. You know, that's limited because you don't know what that knowledge look, lo- looks like when Context. it comes into the physical world. Yeah. You know, how do that, I understand that knowledge when it, when you concretize it into a human being and you actually try to live that knowledge, this is very different. You know, it comes out differently and you can't learn that from a book. It's true. You can only learn that from people been through that we're gonna we're gonna finish on quick fire round who is your favorite comedian Seinfeld tennis player um or uh Nadal better beaches Australia or South Africa definitely South Africa controversial better sense of humor Australians or South Africans South Africans (laughs) for sure that's an easy one (laughs) favorite band favorite band um, Dave Matthews Band. Dave Matthews Band, very yeah. nice. I like Satellite by the Dave Matthews Band. Yeah, great track. Uh, actor. Actor. Uh, Russell Crowe. Fondest childhood memory. Oh, so I, my father's from Durban. So we, in Durban, it's, it's in a place in South Africa, and we grew up in Johannesburg, so we used to go every every July and used to pick sugar cane and eat it and just have fond memories of Schlanger beaches, Growing up with some, his, his mom's cooking was, was superb. Really? Yeah. What are you passionate about? Um, that's a good question. I'm passionate about a few things. I'm passionate about um, family, community. I'm passionate about spiritual growth. I'm passionate about entrepreneurs and helping them grow. And Yeah. What thing do you wish you had more time for? Um, I think I wish I had more time to just to, to read more read more, invest more in my expansion of knowledge. I think as life gets busy and busier with business, kids, you know, all those types of things, I really think that's, in order to be able to give, you have to take a lot, so you need to invest time in that. I hate to bring it back to the world of business, but lastly, anyone thinking of starting a business, what advice would you give them? Um, I think the... The most important thing is that before you start it, you've got to, you've got to know, you know, am I going to put in 100% effort to this? Do I really want this? It really comes down to knowing how badly you want it. I think if you, if the will's not there in a deep, deep way, it won't keep you going through it, the tough. Yeah, you, you need, you need that. Yeah, you've got to be behind this 100%. You know, there's nothing sadder than I had a conversation with someone. He was looking at grants and I just, I was such a, I could hear they'd just been beaten down. And at the end of the conversation, I just asked them, is everything okay? And he was like, no, you know, in truth, 
it looks like we've been doing this for three years now and I just can't do it anymore. It's too, too hard and it's so hard. I've invested so much and you could just see that willpower just gone. And when you take that out of a person, you know, it's, it's crashing. So I think- It's a foregone conclusion. And it, no, no one can ever know, you know, will they have enough to get there, but that willpower to really succeed and to not only to succeed, but the willpower to, to make this work, the willpower that even if this doesn't work, I'm gonna try something else. You know, that flexibility. Yeah. I think those are, are key. Well, Evan Widmon, thank you for your time, your insights and Pleasure. for a more spiritual side to discipline. <laughs> it's been uh, it's been excellent. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to like a diamond in the sky. How I